Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. there again, friends. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am thrilled you're here with me today for episode 150, where we dive into a topic that I'm really passionate about passionate about and love sharing with nursing students. And that is the topic of compassion fatigue. It's one of those things that you hear about, but you think there's no way that's ever going to happen to me. And I'm here to say it very likely can and could and maybe even will happen to you. And we'll talk about that in just a moment and how you can recognize if it's starting to happen, prevent it in the first place and what to do if it's already set in. So before we do that, I want to make sure that we're maximizing our time together. So if you're sitting at your desk or something like that, I want you to go to the closet, get your shoes on. Let's get outside and go for a walk together and talk about this important topic or head out to the garden and do some weeding or fold the laundry or something like that. Let's be productive. Let's move our bodies. If you're driving, okay. We'll give you a pass because it is nice to make use of your commute time. But if you're just sitting, let's get moving, okay? I do always like to start out to acknowledge my listeners with a listener shout out. So this one goes to Clara. Clara, thank you so much for writing in and sharing your experience with my Crucial Concepts Boot Camp. And Clara says... With the help of Straight A Nursing and her Crucial Concepts Boot Camp, I'm starting to feel less anxious about starting nursing school. With Nurse Mo's help, I've gotten organized with a binder system for my classes. I've learned how to talk like a nurse, think like a nurse, act like a nurse. I felt more confident and prepared when I start writing care plans and going to clinical. The crazy part is I'm not even halfway done and I've already learned so much. With this boot camp, I don't feel so nervous about starting nursing school in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Nurse Mo. Thanks again, Clara. And for those of you that are curious what she's talking about, she's talking about my online nursing school prep course, Crucial Concepts Bootcamp, which is on sale right now until the end of the day, April 24th, 2021. If you're listening to this at another time, you can always enroll, but it goes on sale at various times throughout the year. So this sale ends in just a few days. And you guys, the price will be going up a bit because I do keep adding to the course. And as I add things, once you're in, you get all updates, you get all new stuff, all of that. So it's a really great idea to get in now if you're at all interested. So go and check that out. I will put the link in the show notes. 
So let's dive into our topic. A student reached out to me a few weeks ago and asked how to handle emotional situations at work, how to handle it when a patient really touches your heart. She wanted some guidance on how to manage that with compassion, but in a way that doesn't become too much to carry. I think her exact words were, how do you leave your work at the hospital? What do you do when a patient touches your heart, but then you have to leave and and go home, right? So that can feel disjointing. And I'm really glad that she reached out to ask it is such an excellent question. So this is something that happens all the time. And in some environments, it's going to happen more than others. Thinking of pediatrics, end of life, oncology, hospice care, critical care, long-term care facilities, but it can happen in absolutely any clinical setting. And it's not always going to happen because you connect with someone and mourn for them or grieve for their situation, you can also be really affected because you're angered by things that happen to people, their trauma, their abuse, violence, all those kinds of things. So you definitely do not have to take all this emotional stress and upheaval home with you. But I know you also probably don't want to feel like you're clocking out and flipping a switch at the end of the day because that doesn't feel right either. You connect with other people and you connect with the situations and the things that happen on a very, very human and real level. And you you don't just toss that aside. You don't just toss your humanity aside because you've clocked out for the day. So how do we manage this? How do you stay connected to your patients in a therapeutic and meaningful way with yourself as a human being? How do you maintain your compassion, maintain your humanity, but you keep it from depleting you and affecting all areas of your life? So when you care for a patient, you are entering into a pact with that individual, this understanding with that person. They hand over their complete trust in you. And you, in return, assume a role of advocate, caregiver, coach, teacher, guide, all of those things that you do as a nurse. And within the sanctity of that pact, you are granted a front row seat to grief, sorrow, pain, suffering, joy too. Of course, it's not always the things that weigh you down. You are involved. You are intimately connected because that is your role as the caregiver. So I want to tell you a quick story about my best day as a nurse. But before I do that, you have to understand the context of where I was at that time. I was definitely burned out or very close to it, exhausted, drained. I had been working in the ICU for many years and it was 
is a tough environment, you guys. It's tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, human suffering all the way around you. And over time, it does tend to wear you down if you don't take measures to prevent it. I didn't know anything about this at the time, so it did wear me down. And I began to suffer from something called compassion fatigue. So compassion fatigue occurs when your ability to be empathetic declines, and that's due to repeated exposure to the suffering of other people. So it's physical, it's emotional, and it's a spiritual depletion. You basically get to this point where you have taken on so much of an emotional burden, so much trauma, so much sorrow of others that you become kind of empty. There's just nothing left. You become ineffective as a compassionate individual and your own emotional needs suffer greatly. So not only that, but there is a ton of guilt and shame around this. Nurses, we all, we identify, we are caregivers, we care for other people. And when our caring ability, that empathy ability starts to get impaired, we blame ourselves, we question our humanity, and we say things like, am I a terrible person? It's not you. You are not the problem. You're not a terrible person. It's compassion fatigue. And, you know, in addition, it can have physical symptoms as well. And we're going to talk about more of that in a bit. So that was the context in which I was taking care of a patient who was transitioning over into hospice care. And at that point, like on that day, That was exactly the patient that I needed to take care of. So usually in the ICU, you know, it's very busy. Patients are there because they require intensive treatment, intensive assessment, interventions, etc. So you've always got a lot going on with your patients. But at that time that this decision was made that this patient's path was towards hospice care, then my whole plan of care for the day, of course, it absolutely changed at that time. You know, before we'd been focusing on doing all these intensive care type things to keep body systems going, and then we switched gears. And now I focused my care on what did the patient need? What did the patient's spirit need in that day? What was our plan of care? He wanted to see a friend of his, and he wanted to look out the window and see the sun. And that was what I did that day. I moved his bed so that he had a view out the window. And if you guys understand the implications of that in a critical care setting, we don't move things around that much. We want everything in its place, everything where it's supposed to be, everything where I can exactly see it. But I moved the bed so that it was completely out of position, facing the window, head of bed up so he could see out the window. And it was the simplest thing. And he was just so happy to feel the sun on his face and 
just see outside. It's beautiful, right? We arranged for his friend to come visit. They had a lovely visit. They said their goodbyes. That is how I spent my day, just talking with this man about his feelings, end of life, his thoughts on life, and he showed me so much beauty that I will never, ever, ever forget him. And I have never loved a patient more and probably never will again. It was just absolutely just beautiful. Like I feel so, so lucky that I got to be there with him, meet this incredible person who had such a loving and kind and compassionate outlook on life and everything else and his lack of fear. He was not afraid to die. He was he was ready. He was he was almost looking forward to the next thing. I mean, it was just incredible. And I would say that day with him was the most rewarding, the most beautiful, the most honorable day I've ever had as a nurse. Hands down the best day that I have ever, ever had. So I started my day, you know, coming to work, already exhausted, drained, feeling depleted, feeling burned out, all those things that come with compassion fatigue. And, you know, probably a little bit broken. I was probably a little bit broken at that time. But this beautiful, this kind, this sweet, sweet man, he touched my heart. And he made me feel something again. Like I, I felt like that humanity. And that was such a great gift. This man, I, I don't even think he knew what a gift he was to me, but he absolutely was. And with that, I did a lot of soul searching around that and knew like, I need to make a change. I can't keep in this environment. I want to feel like this. I want to connect with people in this super meaningful, amazing way, but also in a healthy and constructive way where I don't take on their burdens, but we connect as humans together. And basically, I left the intensive care unit not long after that. I changed to a less emotionally draining environment and to one that to me is more emotionally rewarding. And it's been just life, life changing. After I left, you know, at the time, I didn't really understand compassion fatigue. I just knew I needed a change and I started looking into it more. I was in graduate school at the time and heavy into researching things all the time that I found interesting and discovered a lot of information about how compassion fatigue is a key contributor to burnout, nurse burnout at the bedside. And I just felt it was really important to share what I've learned with you guys. So I want to stress that Patients will affect you emotionally, and sometimes they will completely gut you emotionally. And that's okay. That's normal. That happens from time to time. As long as you're coping constructively, you can feel tremendous fulfillment from your role as the nurse in these situations. But if you find that every patient's situation their grief, their sorrow, their trauma, whatever. If it's causing you to feel pain, for you to feel emotionally depleted, then you're going to get worn out. Eventually, there's not going to be anything left and you're not going to feel anything anymore. 
If you're not sleeping because you're constantly waking up or stressing and ruminating and thinking about your patients, you're going to get worn out. If you're calling the unit all the time on your days off, and I mean all the time, like it's the norm, definitely you're going to call the unit in exceptional situations to check on a patient and see how someone is doing. But if you're constantly calling to check on your patients, you're going to get worn out. Nursing is not a 24-7 job. You need a break. You need emotional distance and you need to fill your own emotional needs. So over time, if you are heavily emotionally invested in your patients in their situations, you know, their grief, their trauma, their sadness, and you will see that regularly, it will weigh you down. So let's talk about some symptoms of compassion fatigue, you know, some signs that you could be heading in that direction. So symptoms of compassion fatigue, and you guys have to have a lot of self-awareness to recognize these in yourself because it's really easy to kind of see things in other people, but that self-awareness is really that great ability to reflect and be honest with yourself. So I want you to look at all of this through the lens of heightened self-awareness. So the symptoms can be related to your workplace environment, how you cope with work. It could be related to your emotions and can even be related to your physical well-being. So at work, compassion fatigue may be present, maybe manifesting itself if you find that maybe you're avoiding certain types of patients or certain types of families or feeling less empathy towards certain patients or families. Some emotional signs that compassion fatigue is occurring or sneaking up on you are, are you more irritable than usual? Are you having mood swings? Are you angry? Are you having difficulty concentrating? Maybe you're feeling symptoms of depression, or maybe you're turning to alcohol or even illicit drugs to cope. And then physical symptoms could be a lot of things. There's a ton of physical symptoms, but the ones that probably are more common might be headaches, difficulty sleeping, GI problems, and even heart palpitations from the stress, the anxiety of all of this. So the first thing that we're going to do here is I want you to give yourself permission to connect with your patients. You're going to be walking with them on their journey for 8 or 12 hours or whatever it is. That's great. But then you're going to set boundaries. And that is absolutely key. So make a commitment to yourself that when you're not at work, you're not going to spend your emotional energy worrying or thinking about your patients or dwelling and going over and over and over tragic situations. When you find that you are doing that, Ask yourself if you are getting emotionally invested in your patients because you are trying to meet some emotional needs of your own, and that does happen. And if that's the case, you know, address those issues. And then other times you can be so traumatized by something that happens, then you could possibly really benefit from seeking out some kind of counseling from a 
mental health professional. So just be very honest with yourself if you are feeling this way. A great way to set boundaries is to have some kind of a transition ritual that you stick to when you leave work. I know you don't want to feel like you're clocking out and flipping a switch because that doesn't feel real to you. And that's not what I mean. But when I think about a transition habit, think about things that you can perform on a consistent basis that bring you like that emotional closure to all this emotional expenditure, emotional stimulation, I guess, that you experience on your workday. So closing that out and then opening you up to the emotional fulfillment that you will get from your own life, the people in your life, the things in your life, your hobbies, the things that bring you joy. So for example, what I do is I give myself my drive home, like that time period where I'm commuting home, time to process things that happen, think about my day, you might meditate, you might pray, whatever you can do in that time to feel like you're honoring your patience, you're honoring the situations that were very emotional, very significant, those things. You don't want to just feel like you're tossing them aside as you walk out of the room, right? You honor them and you accept them. And then the other thing is you want to give yourself permission to close out that part of your day. And then when you get home, a transition ritual there is really helpful and the most obvious thing to do is that post-shift shower, right? We all get home and we clean the day away. And I want you to think about you're not just cleaning off all the hospital from your body and your hair. You're cleaning off the emotional baggage of your day. It's a literal and figurative cleansing. So wash away the stress of the day, wash away the emotional trauma of the day. This time is a signal to your self that your role, that that pact that you entered with that patient has ended. And now you're entering into a pact with your family, with your pets, with your friends, with yourself. This is who you are caring for now. This is who you are emotionally invested in now. Now, one of the best rituals I ever heard of was a nurse who would drive to a national park anytime one of his patients died on his shift. And this was like a two-hour drive to this national park. He would get off work, drive to the park, this special place in the park. I believe this nurse worked night shift, so he would get there in the morning, and he would take a little bit of time to honor that patient, remember that person, and bring closure to his pact with that patient. Now, I'm not saying you need to drive hours and hours after work, but that was a ritual that was meaningful to that person. So is there a ritual that can be meaningful for you, especially when you're working in an environment with a lot of sorrow, like an oncology unit, a long-term care facility, possibly hospice, or critical care places where you're losing patients on a regular basis? 
So setting our boundaries, that's going to help us keep our cup from getting depleted. The transition and closure help keep us present in our lives, and that helps us fill up that cup. And we're going to expand on that by participating in regular and consistent self-care practices. So take a moment, you guys. Think about your self-care and what a joyful life looks like to you. Does it involve spending more time with your kids, having friends over for dinner, getting regular massages, going for walks in nature, um, taking on a hobby that you maybe have neglected? What are these things, these things that fill your cup that you can realistically bring more of into your life? And I want you to commit to doing that. We have to make time for ourselves. It's absolutely critical. If you stop doing the things that fill your cup, if you stop doing the things that bring you joy, then over time we start to feel very resentful of the things that rob us of that. And we again are going to be getting into that compassion fatigue, that burnout zone. So the final key for preventing compassion fatigue, again, is that self-awareness. You have to be able to recognize these signals in yourself, those work-related signals, those emotional and physical ones as well. So can we all agree on that? Okay, very, very good. And if you're already firmly in this zone of fatigue, compassion fatigue, it's time to take a very honest and very real look at your life and the choices that you could potentially make to change things. So can you do something like take a leave of absence or take a vacation? Can you seek counseling from a mental health professional? Can you change to a different unit or maybe a different role within the unit that you're currently in? So for me, the best solution was to change environments completely and change how much I was working. I am doing, if you're interested, a thousand times better now. I have boundaries around work. I limit how much I work. I totally appreciate the time I have with my patients. I connect with them. I engage with them. I love meeting them. And then by the time I get home, by the time I get showered, I transition. And I do that really well now, you guys. I transition away from that role and I assume that different role, right? I enter into that other pact that I have with my spouse, with my friends. It's like when Mr. Rogers comes home and changes his shoes, it's like you need to come home and change your emotional shoes when you get home from work at the end of the day. So I want you to think about this. If you have the ability to put some of this into practice, I'd love to hear how it goes. So next week on the podcast, we are diving into pharmacology and talking about benzodiazepines. So I will see you back here next week for that. And if you're thinking about Crucial Concepts Boot Camp, you got a couple more days to get in for that sale, but you can get in anytime. But I know you guys love a sale. So that ends April 24th if you're listening to this 
in real time. If you're listening to it later, we do have sales throughout the year. Typically, there's a July sale, there's a December one into January, and then there's one around now in April. We also have our planners, our printable and digital planners. And if you're in boot camp, you get a coupon code for 50% off. So you might want to check that out as well. Okay, you guys, I will see you back here next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.